The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica Richmond, and it is time to talk about extreme periods. Welcome to Flow. Today, I'm here with the divine Amy Board, and we want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. Amy, we are so lucky to have you on Flow today. Oh my gosh. Normally I'm on the back end. I don't think listeners know. I, I actually am a Flow regular, but I don't, I'm not a, you know, public. Vocal. Vocal Flow regular. And so I am very excited to uh, be with you today. This is, I'm super excited. Maybe some of our listeners know you from your incredible work on Bloodstream, my favorite talk show, morning show, as I was just mentioning. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are so lucky to have you here vocally on Flow today. We have some wonderful interviews. Today's episode is titled Endo is Complex, part one. We are missing our wonderful Christy Van Horn for this portion of the episode. You listeners will hear her in our patient interviews. They were previously recorded. And we will look forward to continuing the conversation about endometriosis with Christy back in the mix next month for part two. And we have a part one and part two because endometriosis, the topic we're focusing on today, is friggin' complex. It is very complex. And oh my goodness, it's complex. And it feels like this nebulous void. Everyone that we spoke to still, I think, is still wrestling with feeling like just a little bit in the unknown of what's happening in their bodies. I know that extends beyond diagnosis and all the things. So this this is why flow exists. This is why we have those conversations. Today is great. We have advocates speaking out about endo, advocates like Lauren from Endo Black, who I loved. Please check out at Endo Black on Instagram for more. All of that will be in the program notes. She's speaking out about symptoms, about treatment, about access to care. Such advocacy organizations help out other patients like Allison, who you'll also hear from today. Phenomenal story, difficult wrestling story. She handled it so well. She speaks of her endo journey and managing extreme pain for about seven years. And of course, the experience of dismissal from medical professionals, which you hear from time and time again, in particular with with pain. So she found a doctor that specializes in robotic hysterectomy, and she's going to tell us our story today. It's so interesting. We realized as we were uh, finishing our story, our interview with Allison Mm -hmm. and sharing such journeys of pain and the dismissal. And I don't know if we we talked about his journey, the right word. I mean, it's not like a travel adventure journey, but it is sort of like an arduous, long, epic saga sometimes. There's so much uncertainty. It feels a little like that word sometimes can be weird, but in the same time, there's always a starting point of when it begins. And then, you know, these like points along the way that are under the surface, they're like these private struggles that these women are experiencing while life is happening publicly. Mm. On Bloodstream Media, we have a podcast that's now going into season three, The Pain Pod, about chronic pain. And I've been an advocate, like in the prep for this last season, to include women's stories in particular with endo and other extreme situations, because it is this thing that doesn't really get talked about. You're saying it's under the surface, like there's things going on in life, but this strange kind of journey isn't taking your whole life. It's in addition to a whole life. Yes, yes. And that is so indicative of, of, you know, chronic disease. It just, it's it's like a constant thing and you're constantly thinking about it. Men and women that have hemophilia and von Willebrand's disease constantly think about it all the time. It's, it's their normal. Folks with diabetes and type two diabetes, it's constantly their normal. They're constantly thinking about it. And it's just this silent thing. And anyway, these stories were really indicative of that, of some of the chronic disease stories that I've heard over the years. Well, one of the things I love that Bloodstream does so well is invite people to share these stories because sometimes sharing it is what helps clarify that it is a journey that maybe is now over or maybe has another anchor point milestone that needs to be reached to feel like there's some completion. Yes. And that others can feel like they're not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it's so isolating and you feel insane 
And as women, I mean, speaking from my own perspective, you just live with it. I mean, we, we have a high tolerance for some of that stuff. And we literally just think that it's nor it's like normal. It's our thing. We're going to talk about it in our closing segment today. You're not crazy. We're going to talk about that pain management, the dismissal. It's called healthcare gaslighting. Oh. Fun little term I learned. Okay. Speaking of sharing stories and journeys, Jay Rich, I wondered if you would share your recent project. It is phenomenal. It is um, timely for this audience. And so I just wondered if you'd like take a minute and like share a little bit about what you've been working on. Thank you so much for asking, Amy. Yes, my theater company, The Hall Theater, that's at The Hall Theater on Instagram. We just last month and time for Father's Day shared a digital presentation called Her Womb. The stories that we shared focused on family creation, gender identity, fertility, Mm -hmm. and mortality. All those stories are viewable on The Hall Theater site and the YouTube channel. The Her Womb presentation is a variation on our 2020 live presentation, Womb, which focused on birthing practice and postpartum. All the presentations that we do at the Hall Theater are also coupled with a town hall style conversation. Our company's mission is to create space for challenging conversation around divisive topics. So if any of that intrigues you listeners, please check out the Hall Theater. Thanks for letting me plug that work here, Amy. I mean, the season of the Hall Theater is all uterine related themed theater, which is pretty flow relevant. That's wonderful. So if, if folks are not in the LA area, where can they, where can they partake and where can they learn? Yes. YouTube, yes. Instagram, is that the thing? YouTube, the hall theater. We have our presentations and highlights from both womb and her womb up there. We also have an Instagram at the hall theater and www.thehalltheater.org. All of our content is there. Yes. And we will have new submissions coming up for upcoming stories about vaccination and military experience. Oh my gosh, that is great. Fun topics, less uterine related. Speaking of cool things uh, that happen in the flow world, July is going to be great because it's Fibroids Awareness Month. And in honor of that, flow is going to go live. You guys are going to go full blown live on the Bloodstream Instagram account. Jay Rich, tell us all about it. Yes, at Bloodstream Info with drumroll, please. And Kem from the White Dress Project. And Kem was in episode four. Listeners, if you haven't heard, go back and check out episode four with and Kem from the White Dress Project and Dr. Perkins on episode four. She's and Kem is a wonderfully articulate advocate. She's joining us from the at We Can Wear White Instagram account. And that will be July 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Start your day, midday break. Join us to talk about fibroids, um, advocacy, and a little bit more about pain management, probably. And just a nice little plug about NCHEM. If you have fibroids or not, I would highly recommend, A, if you haven't listened to episode four, please listen to episode four, but please tune into the live. She was the most articulate advocate I have heard in a long time. And she didn't preach. She was just firm and kind and dead on. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. She's a powerhouse. Absolutely. Well, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks from the time this is available to you listeners. And what's coming up right now is our interviews with Lauren and Allison, two patients that have coped with endometriosis. We're going to dive into their experience managing symptoms and providers and treatment and so much pain right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. Hi, my name is Nicole. I didn't always feel empowered to speak up for myself or ask for the care and support I needed. Becoming part of a community and hearing other people's experiences helped to change my perspective. That's why my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear my story and access other helpful resources, drop by Von Vendi, that's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. So Lauren, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you on Flow. And we know that you are the founder of the incredible organization Endo Black, and you're helping hundreds, maybe thousands of people living with endometriosis. But can we go back to the beginning? What led you to this? I'll say that my experience with endometriosis was something that I didn't recognize until I was in college. 
I did have a couple of cycles that were really bad or traumatic as a, you know, a young adult in high school. However, I still didn't know that there was a, a problem with it. I thought it was normal. And I went into college, you know, just excited to be a college student, not focusing on any of that stuff. But I've recognized some issues when I was in my last year, I believe. We had to do a presentation. I was a speech communications major. So I had to do a presentation in order to basically pass the class. This was, I think, either our midterm or our final exam. And of course, I was a little stressed out because it was homecoming and midterms at the same time. And I wanted to do both. <laughs> so I went ahead and tried to do the best I can. And unfortunately, one day my cycle came back on. So I had just finished my cycle. Everything was good. And next thing you know, I'm in class getting ready to present. I'm dressed up. And for some reason, I'm just like, go to the restroom real quick. And I go to the restroom and I have like blood through my clothes. So it's, it's confusing to me. I'm like, okay, well, my cycle is on. Let me just, you know, figure it out. Go to the doctors. I go to the doctor at the ER and she tells me, you just need to go get an OBGYN. She really didn't tell me anything, but then I found an OBGYN in Baltimore, Maryland, which is where, um, you know, I attended school. I didn't want to have to go all the way back home since that wasn't like a jump skip. I was 20, I believe, 20. 20 or 21 in that age range. And for me, uh, unfortunately, my mother had passed away in 2008. So I didn't have, you know, my mom to really go to and talk to about this. I had aunts, but I just was like, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll just figure it out because I nothing's technically wrong right now. So I'll just let them know if something is wrong. I go to the OBGYN and it was just a really sweet lady and she knew a lot. She basically asked me to tell me, you know, what my cycles were like. And I would say that, you know, my left knee hurt right before my cycle came on. My right knee hurt when my cycle went off. I had sharp pains. I had abdomen pains. I had pains in my back. I went down this long list of like how my cycle felt. She was like, none of that is normal. Let's do a pelvic exam. We did the pelvic exam. And she said, you have a reverted uterus. So because you have a reverted uterus, one of the things that could possibly be going on is that you have endometriosis. And I'm like, what's that? You know, and she tried to explain it to the best of her ability. And we just tried to figure some things out. And she scheduled me for a surgery. I had a surgery at John Hopkins University. I ended up having endometriosis. It wasn't, you know, she never said it was severe. She never said it was like as painful or as messed up as a lot of other cases that I've heard of or that I've seen. But she did, you know, let me know that she tried to remove as much as possible. And I ended up getting on birth control after that to kind of control my hormones. I ended up having a cyst and she thought that that would help. And it, it did for a while. And then I was diagnosed with endometriosis March 18th of 2011. I ended up back in the hospital August 28th, 2011. I had a cyst rupture and that is really kind of what really sparked the interest in me because before I was more so like, it's endometriosis. Okay, I don't know what that is. I had surgery, I'm fine. But if it had not been for the situation that happened in August where my cyst ruptured, then I would have never really took a serious look into what endometriosis was and how it affected people. So that was the real beginning of everything. So was the cyst linked to endometriosis yes. or is it separate? It was. Okay. It was. And she, she saw it and she knew, but she said it just, you know, when a cyst is there and it's small, you don't want to go in and necessarily mess with something that isn't going to cause a problem and have extra procedures. And that was her thinking in that situation, but the cyst really didn't do damage and she really thought the birth control would assist with it. However, I, I probably didn't help because I didn't take it serious on my end either. I wasn't cautious with, like, I decided to go run around the SACU. Not recognizing that a run around the neighborhood would cause my cyst to rupture, 
because that's kind of scary. But I should have probably gone back and forth to the doctors. I ended up graduating college and then going back home and not really keeping in touch with our gynecologist and really doing my part into making sure that everything was okay in that situation. And the cyst, mm-hmm. sorry to make it go into detail, but can you tell us what the experience of it rupturing was like? It was crazy. It really, because I didn't know. It goes back to not knowing. So for example, passing out, that is the first indication that something is wrong. Anytime you pass out, whatever it is. And I know a lot of times women, we do pass out and people are like, oh, she just passed out. And it's like, that's not normal. <laughs> Let's figure that out, <laughs> please. But for me, the first indicator was literally the same day I decided to run. And the crazy thing is, for me, I decided to run because I said, I'm going to take my health serious and I'm going to get healthy. I woke up that morning, had avocado toast, put my sports bra on with my leggings, and I said, girl, you're going to run. And I ran, and then I got tired. And then I got super tired, and I got out of breath. And then I just kept being out of breath. Ten minutes after I got home, I was out of breath. 20 minutes after I said, I know I'm not in shape, but I still shouldn't be breathing this hard. So I hopped in the shower. Right before I hopped in the shower, I used the restroom. So just remind yourself that later on in the conversation. So I hop in the shower, um, you know, everything's fine. And then I'm like, oh, it's getting dark in here. The light must be going out. So I said, let me just go lay down and just give up. It must be me. So I turned the light off and I walked to my bedroom. I never made it to my bedroom. I ended up passing out on the floor. And when I opened my eyes, I was looking up at the ceiling. So that was the first indication that something is not right. So instead of me just rushing to the hospital, because I only passed out once. So it's kind of like, let me really first go lay down. Because if anybody knows when you pass out, your body is exhausted. Something has happened and your body is like sending you a trigger. But you also need to recuperate because your body just did a lot. Um, So I went to sleep. And then I, you know, I had called one of my friends and I asked. And then I scheduled an appointment for um, my doctor's office in my hometown the next day. But before I, you know, could do that, um, well, actually, no, I went to the doctor's office. She took my blood and she said, if you pass out again, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, well, duh. But I was hoping that she would be able to tell me more. But, you know, it's nothing that they can really do. It's just you would probably have to go to ER to really get into that ASAP. Um, So I went to go hang out with one of my friends that night, you know, just sitting in fear is never really a good thing. You don't always want to be by yourself when you're going through stuff. So that night I went to the restroom again. That's the second time. Right after I went to the restroom, I came out and I didn't see any of it. My friend said, I left the bathroom door and I just let go. And then I fell face forward and my head missed the corner of the wall, probably by like this much, he said. I don't know if y'all can see that, that much. Like a couple uh, of inches. Yeah. <laughs> for our listeners. Yeah. That's crazy. A couple, of, yeah, inches. couple um, of inches. And he immediately wanted to call the ambulance. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to the ER tomorrow. I promise I'll go to the ER tomorrow. But what I don't want to do is get in an ambulance, pay all this money for ambulance. I think ambulances in my area, unfortunately, cost $600, has nothing to do with insurance, like certain things just cannot be covered. And at that time I was transitioning jobs. I wasn't in the right mind state. And I also was young. And I was a college, a a freshly newly college graduate. And a lot of people that are college graduates can totally understand that. But going and making sure um, that I was okay was important. So I, you know, I said to him, I will go in the morning. I called a friend. She picked me up. I was on my way to the hospital. The second indicator that something was wrong was that my stomach started sweating. It was summer. It was August, which is the hottest um, month of the year. However, nothing else was sweating. My underarms, my back, my legs, my neck, my head. It was just my stomach that was sweating. And I was like, that's that's weird. You know, like, okay, um, I tried to get up. That was the third. I couldn't even really get up. I was out of breath. My friend had to get me a wheelchair and roll me in. 
So that, those are the three things right there. And then the last indicator was that I kept using the restroom. So we had ran multiple tests. She took my blood work at the hospital. They did, you know, blood pressure, all of those things. Um, and they needed to do a pregnancy test. So, you know, go to the restroom, you do everything you're supposed to do. And as I'm in the restroom washing my hands, I say, I'm about to pass out. I figured out that every time I passed out, it was right after I used the bathroom. So I was telling them like, here, take the urine. I have to pass out. Let me sit down. She was like, no, let's walk to your bed. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to pass out. She was like, can you hold on? No, if I could hold on, I would never pass out. I promise you. I promise you I wouldn't. But I kept trying to tell her like, I should probably sit down. She didn't listen. And I ended up like, turning into a complete noodle, falling to the ground, woke up in sharp pains. And I think that I got to the hospital in time, I will say, because these were pains that I had never felt, ever. Even with endometriosis, I was just like, what is happening? So at that time, they still didn't really know what was wrong, but they put me in the bed, they did the MRI work, CAT scans, all of that. And they finally figured out that I had a cyst rupture. Um, I ended up having two gallons of blood in my abdomen, which is probably why my stomach was sweating the way it was. So I ended up having to have surgery immediately, but that was scary. And I, I don't like hospitals at all. I never liked hospitals. So that was like something that I really had to get over. Of course, I, I cried like a baby. I know a lot of people are like, I would never cry. No, no, no. I wasn't crying either, but when you're in that hospital bed, laying, hearing people, you know, because it's a lot of stuff that happens in the hospital. You hear people, you see police officers, you hear people get ready for surgeries, like this is the ER here. So, you know, it, it is a fearful thing, but sometimes you really just have to put yourself in a different mindset and say, this is something that you have to do to get better. And, you know, you just have to sacrifice that moment. So I was in and out though. I mean, but I was asleep, but for the actual surgery. Yeah. And then coming out of it, you mentioned that all of this is what spurred your awareness. That's when I realized I needed to figure out what was going on with me, you know? And I think that because of my journey within myself and just trying to learn more about endometriosis, women's reproductive health or wellness, that I realized that this is a bigger issue than just me. You know, especially when I said earlier that my endometriosis isn't as severe as a lot of other people, I wanted to make sure that I touched on that because it's like I'm I'm barely uh, feeling what other people are feeling, and I'm not into comparing pain or anything like that. But based off the stories that I hear, sometimes it's like, sis, I never went through that. You know, so when I started doing research, the first thing that I noticed was that there were not a lot of awareness around endometriosis in general. Like I was Googling and I'm like, oh, this has been here this whole time. And I, I've never known, you know? So just recognizing that endometriosis is something that can affect anybody. It, it's something that we don't even recognize. It could be affecting children right now. We would not even know it because there's no research about it. So that awareness in itself is really important. Then I noticed that within those circles or endo communities, there were support groups. In those support groups, I think it's important to have those. However, um, misery love company in some of those support groups. And it was a lot of, and I call cattiness that was going on. And it wasn't sisterly. And I, I'm in a sorority, so like that, we're really big on being sisterly and loving each other, especially when you're going through something. And I know it's definitely not easy or anything like that, but the only way we can be better is if we speak better to each other. Um, that's the only way we can be, you know, better. So even in those support groups, you know, somebody will have an attitude. Even if we're talking about birth control, hysterectomies, things of those natures, I don't have to agree with that. That's not my place to agree if someone else wants to do it. 
However, I should respect them and support whatever decision they have. So I think that sometimes we tend to be really disrespectful when it comes to people's views on on certain things on how they want to do their life. And that's what I saw in some of the support groups. And then I also noticed that there was lack of awareness surrounding African-American women and women of color. So even when I would talk about it in the support groups, I would get a sense of like, well, it, you know, endometriosis isn't racist or it doesn't matter what race you are when you have endometriosis. And it's like, I, I get that. But at the same time, a lot of people don't recognize that representation matters. So if you don't see, and I'll use this as an example, if you don't see a transgender man with endometriosis, you don't know that he could be suffering from endometriosis. If you don't see a Native American woman with endometriosis, you don't know. So it's like there's certain things and we know, for example, sickle cell anemia is something that's big in the African-American community. We know that because of the research that we've done. So we just want to see more awareness around certain things to make sure that women that look like myself, as well as women of color, can say, oh, okay, this could be something I'm suffering from. If not, okay, but at least I'll, I'll get something and have an idea of what it could possibly be versus seeing risk factors on medical websites with just white women are people that suffer from endometriosis. So that really makes it difficult to get an actual diagnosis. So those were some of the things that really started this because once I started doing research on what endo was and who it affected, I realized that, well, you know, this may this may not be right. You know, like, is there anybody else? I wanted to see what else affected. I wasn't sure if hair loss was a situation. I had locks at the time. So I was nervous that I would, you know, lose hair. Um, I also was looking at things like, you know, acne, hormonal acne, making sure that I was taking care of my skin, uh, you know, dry skin, eczema. There are certain connections that I didn't recognize with endometriosis. But now that I've done the research and there's more information out there, I've kind of gotten an idea over it. So this is exactly why we wanted to have you on the show. (laughs) Thank you for highlighting all of those uh, intersecting identities, right. And how we, we show up in different ways and just the importance of, as you said, representation and making sure that everyone can see themselves. So they, they know that they could possibly have this. So thank you so much. You were just talking about the awareness that you were inspired to participate in the growth of awareness that led to the organization. Do you think since the time you've been working with as endo black, that awareness has grown, that there is more awareness about endo. Well, this was 2011, 2012, you had mentioned. So in the past eight, nine years, have you seen more awareness? I I don't know if it's more awareness or more people being diagnosed. It's really tricky to be quite honest with you, but I'll just say yes for the awareness piece right now because I, I see and I have friends and family members that see stuff and they're like, Oh, let me send this to Lauren because it says endo. Oh, let me send this because it says infertility. Let me send this. So it makes it seem like it's more awareness. So I'm hopeful that there are things that are happening. There are more organizations. I won't say that are popping up. I'll say that we're getting a connection with because they've always been there. We just never were able to build that bridge or that gap. So because of you know, maybe you know, diagnosis and the awareness piece, we are getting to a place where more people are seeing it. There are more conversations with doctors. I wish that there would be more, but we're also making a mark. I think the endo community is at a place where we are genuinely tired of just not being listened to. More so we're tired of just being shunned, like birth control, birth control, hysterectomy. It's like, no, no, no. You got to listen now. So we are a community. And when I say community, I mean everybody in the community. We're working together. People are communicating with each other. Uh, People are doing wonderful things and making things happen. For instance, you have Indoqueer. They're getting ready to have a summit, which is coming up, I think, this next week, if I'm not mistaken, or the week after. So they're doing their part. And then you have other community organizations like Black Women's Health Coalition, which I'm also a part of, where we reach out to hospitals to talk to them and tell them, hey, 
your website is incorrect. Can you update your website? It says women, uh, white women are a risk factor, but it only says them. It even said like tall women. I think that that was, that right there was crazy. Curious in all of your research, because you, you're like at the epicenter having become so aware and people who are newly diagnosed maybe are further away from that epicenter of information. Is there any organization that you do see research coming out from that you trust that you would recommend to newly diagnosed? I don't know. I, I want research that's patient-led. That's what I want. And if that's out there, then okay. I think that's good. But I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't want to say it doesn't exist, but I haven't seen it. Patient-led surveys are important because you don't know what to ask for if you're not a patient. Having the oversight of a doctor is important, however, to make sure that we have the, the critical information, the right information. So medical industries definitely need to be included. However, I, I think patient-led surveys are more important. Lauren, thank you so much for being so candid and, and, and honestly doing all the work that you do. I appreciate it so much for the opportunity to come and share. So thank you. So I could, should mention that our next interview is with Allison, who is my sister. She's my sister. <gasps> Allison Richmond. That's right. <laughs> I have to say to hear her interview here with us on Flow, because even knowing her over the course of the past seven years, plus, you know, the other 29 years of my life, during her struggles to find treatment, I did not know the full picture of the challenges she faced in being believed by medical professionals about her legitimate pain. Let's take a listen. Well, hello, um, Allison. thank you so much for joining us on Flow. Thank you for having me. I know you have uh, quite the experience to share. To start us off, can you tell us about your diagnosis journey? specifically what the symptoms were like that led you to seeking a diagnosis? Sure. It was about seven years ago when I, I had been off birth control at that point for maybe six months. And I started having really, really bad pain. And it started the week of leading into my period. Then it was the week of during, then it was the week of during and after. And it kept getting worse. And I remember at one point I was like, okay, there's one week a month where I feel normal. I don't have any pain. And then as things got worse, I, there was no weeks. I was in pain constantly. And just because pain is such a personal experience, can you like level it out on what, what kind of pain had you experienced in your life prior on a scale of like one to 10 versus the kind of pain you were experiencing? Well, specific to periods and hormones, I had never really had any pain. So this was brand new to me. I never even had cramping during my periods before. I kind of thought people like kind of made a big deal out of nothing to be quite honest and not to be <laughs> to sound terrible but I had never had any and it just seems like one of those things but I guess specific to other pains in my life I had had some, some surgeries and other things so I had experienced pain before but not the type of pain that was every single day I think that was the big difference especially as it got worse and the symptoms more specifically than just saying pain it was this ripping feeling when I would walk um, I couldn't even walk the dog after a while because it was just so painful to move. And it was like a stabbing right in my lower stomach and sometimes in my back. How long did it take you to, to go see a doctor? It probably took about a good six, seven months before I even went and saw a doctor about it. Because I did, I mean, I did kind of go, okay, this is what everyone talks about when it comes to period pain that I had never experienced and down, you know, downplayed as just a symptom in general. But I just thought this is what I'll have now. I'll just have some period pain every month. And then when it really started, got to the point where I had that ripping, I was concerned maybe something else was wrong. So then it was six or seven months into my journey the first time I went and they did a, an ultrasound, abdominal and pelvic. And they were like, oh, you have a couple of small cysts, maybe you have PCOS, but you should go back on birth control. And I just personally really didn't want to go back on birth control. I had been on birth control for a really long time and knew that that wasn't a journey I wanted to continue on. So I would look for alternative treatments. I met with a lot of different doctors, I think from that 
about seven months in all the way up till it was seven years before I had surgery for a hysterectomy on and off. And it was on and off <laughs> because I would get really focused in on it. And I'd really try to educate myself and find different doctors. And then I'd just kind of give up. I'd say, okay, no one's really helping me. No one's saying anything that's really adding value. I don't want to take any other pain pills. I've given every pain pill. My husband jokes to this day, I have a closet over to the pharmacy because I wouldn't take a lot of them. But people just kept prescribing. Oh, you're in pain. Here's something. Here's something. And I was working a lot and traveling a lot. So I just kind of said, this is my life now. And just kept trying to move forward. And I think it was the last 18 months where I was just like, okay, I cannot move forward anymore. It's so much pressure built up. Um, so much pain that I was, I was sleeping. I was working or I was sleeping. Pretty much all I could do. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. When was this? Like, just for a frame of reference. About seven years ago, I was in my early 30s when it started. I'm 39 now. And I had surgery just about a year ago. So through those years, the doctors that you met with, did they just continue to dismiss you and give you pain meds? Is that the general gist of what happened? And what did you always see OBGYNs? For the most part, I did. I was very lucky that I had good insurance. As I was putting this all together, I, was, I have to say, I was thinking about that for people that don't have good insurance and can't just keep going to see different doctors. I mean, it, it brings tears to my eyes because that was the one thing I could keep doing that I felt sort of in control over it. And that's so not fair. You know, I mean, I was so grateful to be in that position, but it's just, it's horrible how hard you have to fight for some of this stuff. To answer your question more directly though, yes, I, I went to a lot of different OBGYNs. Most of them wanted to put me on birth control. I think it was about four years in was the first time I even heard the word endometriosis. Um, a doctor who was a little more, I guess, forward thinking, I had driven all the way down probably three hours from where I lived to see someone that said they were a specialist in a variety of different female and, you know, pelvis type conditions. And she was the first one who told me I had endo. She said, you probably have endometriosis. We can put you on birth control. And I didn't want to go on birth control. And then she just prescribed me more pain meds. And that was four years in, you said? It was about four years in. And even at that time, I had never heard the word before. There wasn't a lot online because I am the type, I've always been the type, I'll come home and start Googling and searching everything. But there, was, there wasn't there was a lot out there, not as much as there is today. I mean, even in what, four years, it, it seems like there's so great. There's more out there for people to educate themselves, as well as I think doctors certain doctors seem to be a little more, more educated. Um, but my, that journey, that path did take me down some sort of weird rabbit holes because then I had one doctor that said, well, maybe it's not actually, you know, there, maybe it's your colon, maybe it's your digestive system. I had a colonoscopy and I had an endoscopy. I had practically every, you know, kind of test that I, that I can think of that I'm aware of just because some doctors would say, oh, it's sort of not my problem. I'm going to send you to another specialist. I'm going to send you to someone else. And that's really hard too. That's hard from the perspective of just continuing to tell your story like, to every new doctor. And just being dismissed like that is, is really, can be really challenging. It's very emotional. Like you said, you, you gave up at times. And I think that that's such a normal reaction to feeling dismissed in our medical system, right? Like if you're not going to be listened to, if you're not going to be trusted, then why bother? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I'm so sorry again, that you had that experience. Well, thank you. I mean, it's great that there's more things out here today. I mean, even listening to flow truly and, and doing other research, like it, I wish I had found community sooner because I did feel so alone for so long in my journey. Um, that to me emotionally and you know mentally because there's a mental toll for being in pain that long and fighting that hard constantly is it really makes a big difference yeah absolutely so what are the doctors when you in that four-year mark what did how did they explain endometriosis to you or did they just t call it a thing and send you on your yeah <laughs> I know this was a while ago too so I don't expect you to remember like exactly what they said. I remember doing a lot of my own research to try to understand it. I think the first doctor just told me this is a condition you could have more people have it than 
we realize and some people have no symptoms, some people have really bad symptoms, but you should go again, the birth control, the pain thing. And I think it was through my own research where I really, really understood it. It wasn't until I found the doctor who did my, my eventual surgery that really someone, a medical professional explained things to me. And you mentioned that was eight, like your surgery was 18 months ago. When did you find that doctor that led you towards treatment that was beneficial? Okay. So there were two doctors in a row that kind of helped me. The first one was really dismissive of me though, but she did order an MRI. I mean, I left the office in, in tears and I was lucky I had a friend with me because I think I would have been a wreck after that. And I might've just given up all over again. But so I, I went to one doctor who said, okay, I, you know, I don't know if it's it or not, but we'll order the MRI. And then the MRI came back with adenomyosis, possible endometriosis and no fibroids, which is really interesting because after my surgery, I found out I had three fibroids. So I'm sure we can come back to that. But the, the final doctor, I see that was, it was about a year before my surgery. And I think by the time I was going to doctors at that point, I had already decided whatever it takes to not be in pain anymore, I will sort of remove whatever I need to remove. And then the doctor for the surgery was actually a specialist in robotic hysterectomies. So I went to her at Cedar sinai right before, kind of, I went in saying, I want to have this surgery. I had done my own research and I had this one friend that had come into my life through, just through associates, kind of through colleagues who was very open about her journey. And she was in her early fifties, but she had had a hysterectomy and she was the first person where I'd start to say a symptom and she'd be like, yes, yes. And this, and she'd add something to it that I had also experienced. It was the first time I really felt like anyone heard me or understood what I was going through and her talking about hysterectomy and she didn't push it on me, but she did say, you know, this, this is, was my journey. I eventually had to have a hysterectomy for it. And so I was kind of at the point where I was like, okay, great. Hysterectomy. <laughs> that's what it takes. Let's go. Let me find someone that's really going to be good. And that's going to help me through that. So I did purposely seek out a doctor at that point who would do a surgery. I'm curious. And I, I am a child-free woman. I don't have children. Did they talk to you about infertility? Did they talk to you about wanting children? And as I said, I'm a child-free woman. So I've had pushback mm -hmm. in multiple places in my life where people question that. Right. And it's like, it's my body. Right. I know what I want to do with it. Right. On that sense. Um, but did you ever, did anyone ever talk to you about that? And, and what was that conversation like for you and, and how did they approach it? Yeah, it absolutely, starting to have a hysterectomy absolutely was, was something that I, I thought about and some doctors talked to me about. And even when I went in for the consultation, the doctors, you know, talked about infertility and talked about other options. We can go in, we can do an ablation, which just, as I understand it, kind of removes the, if you have endometriosis, removes the extra tissue and the extra growth. At that point, I had also found some friends who had had that surgery because they really wanted to have children and they were very successful um, in having children after having that surgery. So even the ablation, I believe it's called, is, is an option for many people. And I was given some information about it, but, you know, I was I was in a unique position because I had kind of already, I was in my late thirties. I wasn't going to birth any children at least or have any. So it wasn't as emotional as I could imagine it would be for so many people. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know it's, it's certainly hard. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned at the beginning too, that, and this has been shocking to me as I've met a couple of patients along the way that actually didn't have symptoms of endometriosis, because when we hear about endo, it's typically like you're saying extreme pain, extreme symptoms, but then others don't really have symptoms except for infertility, which I think is just an interesting point to put into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So you met with a doctor that was looking for endometriosis and the surgery happened. What happened in the surgery that led to the revelation that there was something different than endometriosis going on? Oh, yeah. Well, that was sort of the crazy, crazy part. So the MRI came back with adenomyosis, which is, I understand the biggest difference is the tissue grows all inside the uterus versus outside the uterus with endometriosis. 
and they couldn't see one of my ovaries. So they were pretty sure that there was some endometriosis going on as well, uh, but they couldn't see a lot. And actually the MRI was one of the most painful things. I actually had them stop it, which I don't typically do. I'm usually I'm sort of a people pleaser. So I'm like, oh, sure. You need to stay here and not move and just lay in the MRI. That's fine. But I was in so much pain. I thought something was going to like, they were pulling something out of my body that I, I actually asked them to stop with tears in my eyes. I sound like I cry all the time. I'm actually not a very emotional person outside of this journey. So they didn't get the full test results, I guess is my point. And that made it even harder. I was very frustrated after fighting for the MRI that I got in the machine and I just physically couldn't do it. But what the MRI did show, the part that they could complete was the adenomyosis, possibly endometriosis, and that my uterus had continued to tilt. So from all these different tests, they were comparing some of the different pelvic exams and my uterus was continuing to tilt backwards, which I understand can also cause back pain and, and some other symptoms. If I'm correct, it's another one where some people have it all their lives and never know and some people feel it. But I, I guess it is sort of unique that it continued to tilt. So that's why they thought something was growing. <laughs> there was more in there than should be because it shouldn't have been moving at the, the pace that it was moving. They, they went and they did the surgery and they were able to save my ovaries, which was very important to me for the purposes of surgical menopause or changing up my hormone mix too much. And they were luckily able to do that when they, after the surgery, the results that came back to me said that I had adenomyosis and fibroids that they couldn't see that were covered in the tissue, but very little to no endometriosis. Outside of the medical recovery, now that you're on the outside of having the surgery done, I heard you say there's other symptoms, but how has your pain shifted? since it was like going from zero to a thousand. I mean, it's just so much better. I feel like my old self, I'm able to start doing things again. I mean, the last few months leading up to my surgery were really, really tough. And it was just in so much pain that, you know, everybody is different when they go through a surgery like that. I feel like I felt better really quick. I had some other very minor complications from the surgery. I had the medication that I was allergic to and then I broke out in rashes. And so that sort of took over a big part of my recovery. But as far as the true recovery from having the hysterectomy, and it was a robotic assisted hysterectomy. So the three small scars, it really was, the pain was just, was gone. It was amazing. And that's, I think that's how I knew you know, I had made the right decision, which was a lot to go through to go, oh, I'm glad I made the right decision. But it was really a relief to be pain-free. My hormones are continuing to shift. It's been nine, 10 months since the surgery, and I am still seeing some shifts in my, my hormones and different things, but I, I wouldn't change it. You know, it's just to, to be able to get up and move and not go somewhere and not be afraid that I was going to have all these really big clots or that I was going to be in so much pain that last minute I had to cancel something. It really is just sort of a blessing. Very grateful. As I asked this question, you've given so many like really great examples of, of what you've done to take care of yourself and what advice would you give other people experiencing your symptoms? I would say find support, whatever that support network needs to be for you, whether it is you know, finding other resources, but really that community, I think finding one person for me, it was one person, but whatever group you can find that that is your support system there, that really, because when the pain is really bad and the doctors are telling you, you know, you're, you're fine or just being dismissive in general, you need someone to lean on. It's a lot to go through by yourself. Find support. Don't be embarrassed because for some of us, these symptoms can maybe be a little embarrassing to talk about. It definitely wasn't something I was used to talking about at any level. And it really took that other woman to say some symptoms for me to actually be okay talking about them. I'm much more open now, but you know, at the time it, it can be embarrassing and then don't give up. So find support, don't be embarrassed and don't give up because it's so important. And for me, it has really getting sick really kind of changed my life with, with this, getting this um, diagnosis, but then also getting treatment and getting help is really, 
really changed my life. Because you're such an avid researcher, are there any places, uh, either post-surgery related to fibroids that you found more information? Fibroids or really endometriosis, anything that you've done research on, any accounts or places you would recommend listeners go to? The one that I found to be so helpful, and I actually presented it on this podcast, but is the White Dress Project. So we can wear white on Instagram, I believe it is. I mean, what they post is so helpful, I think, for someone who's going through it, because they are very honest and open about what's going on and about the different stats, about fibroids and other things that I just, I had no clue about. And by the time, you know, the doctors told me I had fibroids, they were gone. So I didn't really take that journey. I didn't really do much research because I was like, okay. I didn't even realize how much they could have been contributing to the pain until I started really kind of reading and learning about the white dress project. Episode four, everybody go back and listen to episode four. (laughs) If you haven't already, and we'll be doing a live with them later this month in honor of fibroid awareness month. So yeah, everybody stay tuned for that. I think it's the 22nd, the 22nd, July 22nd. Stay tuned. (laughs) I think part of this whole thing, right. Is just whatever the, the diagnosis is at the end of it. It's about getting help. You know, it's about finding a doctor that will just listen to you. It shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't take us seven years to have someone pay enough attention and, and take it seriously. And I think that's the other piece of advice I'm just thinking about is like, no one knows your body like you. So if something feels off, you have to keep saying it feels off. No matter what. And trust you. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. We as women, you know, I, I'm sure everyone does, but I think it's just really easy for us, or at least it's been very easy for me. I'll speak for myself to just put it aside. And I think that part that that mental part is also something that gets overlooked. Oh, you've had the surgery. Everything's fine. And it's like, well, but I dealt with pain. Sometimes I still think I'm going to get that pain again. Sometimes I'm still worried that stuff's going to come back. I have to process through that as well. Thank you for pointing out the impact of the journey doesn't just end when treatment happens especially when your journey is that long, you know, like the trauma, there's trauma there. There's, it's so true though. I would say from the first time I went to the doctor till towards the end, just saying that word, you know, never hearing the word endometriosis and then to hearing it and people talking about it and maybe not really understanding what it is, but actually just knowing that it's out there and it's something that people suffer with. It's in the seven years of my experience, it has come so far. So much more work to do. <laughs> for sure. Thank you for lending your voice to the awareness. You have a unique journey from endo to fibroids and all the years of pain management. Sharing stories we believe here on Flow helps normalize the conversation and leads to needed medical research. Yes, I think it's great that you guys are doing this. And it's just, it matters to people. It, it matters most to the people that I think are the quietest. You know, That's powerful. Thank you. Well said. So we just heard from two incredible patients, uh, journeys, stories, experiences. What we're going to look forward to in part two is getting to speak with a doctor because we're going to have a lot of questions for them. Endo's so confusing. Yes. And in our um, quest to find the right person to speak to our audience, we learned that there are specialists in endo and they are highly sought after. They are dotted across the country. So we're working on coordinating that interview and we can't wait to bring a specialist to the audiences of Flow. We'll also have Diana from EndoFound. We're excited to have Diana with us. EndoFound is one of those great advocacy organizations that have popped up to be more vocal about the uncertainty and confusing complex parts of endometriosis. And then they also produce something called EndoTV which is hosted by Diana, who's going to be joining us. Diana has had more conversations about endometriosis than we have for sure, Mm -hmm. and has been in an interesting position to lightning rod, learning as everyone is learning what Mm -hmm. endo really is and learning from patients and advocacy organizations. She'll be with us next month. It's exciting. For now, we're going to close out part one of Endo is Complex with our closing segments, starting with a wonderful delivery of Christie's tips, proudly presented by one half of Bloodstream's hosting team. Once again, it's Amy Board. 
Woohoo! I am honored to present Christy's tips. I just want everyone to know these are actually Christy's written tips. These are not Amy's tips because mine would be scattered and all over the place. But Christy offered wonderful, terrific tips on pain management, which is apt for all of us. Number one, find what works for you, which I think is a terrific, terrific directive. Yoga or walks, exercise helps. It, do, it does helps to continue to move. Heating pads, ugh, over-the-counter pain meds. And I should say on over-the-counter pain meds, this will be like an Amy edition. Find what works for you, not, not everyone, you know, the Tylenols of the world or the ibuprofen, like find what works for you. Baths, remember to take care of yourself and remember that we are all different. Ask your doctor about diet and natural remedies as essential oils as well, which I think are fantastic. Number two, find your person. Christy loved this tip from Allison. I did too. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask, ask your friends for support. I love this. I don't talk to my friends about my pain. Mm. And because of flow, I've started to, and I've been more acutely aware when my girlfriends have mentioned pain or their experience um, yes. during their cycle. And I've, instead of just like glossing over it, I've like stopped and said, let's have a conversation. And that it has actually made me feel less alone and weird. Mm. Chills. Yes. Mm. Go flow. Number three, keep track of it. This is also great. Keep track of it. Write down what you're doing to manage your pain. What works for you? What doesn't? This is helpful for reflection and when you go to your doctor and patterns, I think. I think mm -hmm. writing down those patterns are really important. So find an app, use the notes app on your phone, do a notebook, whatever. I think, I, I think that's very important as you are weeding through that very dark time where it all seems, you know, nebulous and painful to like write it down so you can have a better story to take to your doctor or to take to your healthcare professional. All incredible tips. I'm going to add one more, like another flower in a bouquet of daisies. Simply put, when you're in pain and not being believed, keep advocating for yourself. You're not crazy. Come here, baby. What do you think you are? You are not crazy. Crazy or something? Crazy! 20 years ago, it was 2001, the year that the Journal of Law, Medicine, and Ethics published research that exposed the unequal care women receive for pain. The research showed that even after identical medical procedures, women get prescribed less pain medication than men. Research in this study also found that women are, quote, less likely to be admitted to hospitals when they complain of chest pain. Some more quotables. It's in your head. You'll be fine. Just take some Tylenol. These are all direct quotes from doctors to women who were experiencing significant reproductive health-related pain, including these, these quotes were said to powerhouse pop culture icons such as Serena Williams and Lena Dunham. It's been called healthcare gaslighting. It's infuriating. And it means that if you're in pain and being dismissed for the love of sanity, please remember you deserve to be heard. You deserve to receive treatment. You are not crazy. Bravo. Mm. Oh, man. When this article, it'll be in the show notes from The Atlantic that I read about the Journal of Law and Medicine and Ethics report in 2001. They mentioned Serena Williams and Lena Dunham. I put that in here because... There's millions of voices who are not pop culture icons who are experiencing this. For some reason, being in the public eye and advocating and sharing your story and your journey is all the more important because when no one else will take notice, sometimes if you have the limelight, you know, you can direct the limelight to what needs attention. Yes. I remember Lena Dunham being the first time I heard like, oh, people might have pain in their menstrual cycle that's not normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was the, it was the first time that it crossed my mind. I had never heard of endo before that. Right. I had my own thing. I, I mean, listeners, you know, listening to this, raise your hand if you felt, you know, dismissed and even like kindly dismissed in a doctor's office. I, I just, I just don't think it's I mean, of course, it's not that uncommon. It happens all the time. It happens every every time. And whether you have like severe, significant pain, like our our two stories that we had today, or just like very marginal, that sh it should be normal. Like things should be normal. You know, I think there's such a gray area. I love this segment. I love the story. It's very important. You you are not crazy. 
being believed, being dismissed kindly, being dismissed in any right, kindly, unkindly. Women of color face this so much more than white women. There's no kind of dismissal that's okay. Lena Dunham, she had a hysterectomy and when they took her uterus out, they said it was the worst. That doctor said it was the worst condition of endometriosis they had ever seen at that hospital. But she had to struggle with dismissal. It's a lot. It's a lot. We will carry on talking about this struggle that endometriosis patients face. We will carry on and dive further into the clinical definition of what endo is next month when we get to speak to our doctor as well. Yes. And listeners, don't forget to get in touch with us. Please uh, DM Jay Rich, Christy, myself, any questions, any concerns. If you'd like to share your story, this is the place. This is the place to do it. Endo is Complex Part 2 is coming up next month, and we're excited to continue these conversations and to bring to light these situations in hopes that you won't feel um, as alone as you're going through your monthly cycle. There it is. Thanks for joining us on our monthly cycle of flow. Straight talk about extreme periods. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share. Referrals from you are the best way to reach new people. So share your story with us. Do you have an experience of extreme cyclical bleeding? We believe sharing these stories will support an increase in medical research and social acceptance. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. And thanks to our sponsor Takeda for their support of Flow. Flow was produced by Bloodstream Media and supported by Takeda. Shout out to creative director Amy Board and Flow's hosts, Jessica Richmond and Christy Van Horn. Flow was edited by me, Colby Crow. Our next available episode will be August 12th. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>